Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. We're going to jump back into the Word of God. Um, so <laughs> I know that it's Christmas and I know some of you are probably thinking, Pastor Nate, you're supposed to preach Christmas messages at Christmas. And I've wrestled with the Lord for this for the last number of weeks. Hear me out. You got to, you got to believe me here. I know that we've been reading and we've been studying the life of David. And I thought for sure it was going to be an easy tie-in for me to jump into like the Christmas story and bring that full circle for us. And I, I'm sorry to disappoint you friends this morning, but we're not going to talk about the nativity today. We're going to jump back into where we left off last week and talking about the life of David. Um, we, we've encountered David through the scriptures as a man that is after God's own heart, right? And we've said to ourselves, we want to model whatever this man David did to do right, to be labeled as a, God, as a man after God's own heart, right? I want that to be said of me. When I pass away, and at my funeral, Tyler's preaching, and he's saying, you know what, Pastor Nate, he may have been silly, he may not have been the best boss, but I can tell you that he was a man after God's own heart. I want that to be what's etched onto my like tombstone. I don't, I don't know, whatever. You guys get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I can think of nothing else that would be better. And so with that, we've been walking through the life of David. His triumphs, his failures, his trials. We've, we've kind of been examining it all. He's a very uh, interesting person to examine. I think someone that we can all pretty easily uh, find aspects of our life that relate to David. So we've been walking through First and Second Samuel. We've been walking through the Psalms, trying to get a cohesive picture of who David was and how he responded to different aspects of his life, right? So we were there, um, like when we first are introduced to him in obscurity, right? Uh, who is this guy that's just kind of out tending sheep to his victorious triumph over Goliath, right? David versus Goliath. Everybody knows that story. We saw his unjust treatment under the hand of King Saul. And then last week, we, we kind of came to probably, arguably, the second most recognizable story about David, his tragic fall with Bathsheba, right? It wasn't King David and the rubber ducky. It was King David... And the beautiful woman Bathsheba that caught his eye, that led him into sin. Not just into sin. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Oh, don't. God. We, uh, we come to this place of David's kind of tragic unraveling, right? His life comes to this point of like, man, he's victorious, his rise to power, and then this tragic fall. And last week, we, we, we began to examine some, some points of that. If we were just going to recap for a moment, we talked first about the dangers of complacency, right? 
If you read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David found himself in the predicament that he found himself in because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Right? The kings were supposed to be off to war. They were supposed to be with their people. It was in the spring when the kings go to war. And he wound up staying home. <laughs> and we talked about what God made us for. The purpose that he instilled in us. And when we're not where God wants us to be, we're far more susceptible to temptation than where we're in the middle of his will. And not that temptation's ever foreign to us. That's another aspect of the story that we talked about. We see King David falling, right? The God's right-hand man, the guy that slew Goliath. None of us are immune to temptation. Jesus himself was tempted. But we see ourselves far more likely to be susceptible to temptation, falling into the temptation when we're not where God wants us to be, right? I actually wrote a preoccupation with advancing the kingdom, doing what God wants of us and created us for is the single greatest defense against the enticement of the enemy. But then we begin to break down uh, some of the other things that happened there in 2 Samuel chapter 11 when we look at David's fall with Bathsheba. You, we know that he didn't just stop with that look or with that glance at Bathsheba, but he wound up taking her <laughs> and uh, they, they did some stuff together, right? <laughs> and uh, Bathsheba winds up getting pregnant. And then to hide it, <laughs> uh, he brings Uriah home from war to try to tr get him drunk, to try to get him to sleep with his wife, to cover up their mistake. That doesn't work, so he has him killed. And all of a sudden, we see David, the guy that just a few chapters before was saying, God, I'm going to build you a temple. <laughs> <laughs> you need a house. We see this beautiful messianic covenant made in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to him <laughs> not just falling into adultery, but now he's covering it up with murder. And we, we know at the beginning of the day, David wouldn't have said, you know what, I think I'm going to go murder Uriah today. Right? It didn't start off like that. That wasn't how the enemy presented this package to him. He presented a package that was pretty palatable. Hey, take a look at Bathsheba over here. And it was the lie that the sin was only going to hurt himself, right? The sin was just, oh, it's a quick look here. It's a quick look there. And it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, I can, I can control myself. I can stop at any point in time that I want. So what's a little look here or there? But we know that that lie of the enemy unraveled David's life. And it's something that we established last week is that the enemy isn't concerned with you just uh, slipping up here or there. He isn't concerned. He's not trying to get you to fall just once. He's not just trying to get you to sleep with Bathsheba. He has a plan for you that is the complete unraveling of your life. That's what we experience. That's what we see begin to transpire with David, right? He begins to try to cover up and hide his sin. And the devil has a plan for your life. His life came crumbling down. He winds up uh, sleeping with Bathsheba winds up murdering one of his friends. And, 
and the judgment and the, the hand of God comes against David. And uh, we, see, we see God's justice played out, but we also see um, repercussions for David's sin played out as well. The sword of the Lord never departs from David's house. And there were lasting repercussions that hurt not just him, but his family and his children for generations to come if we were to actually break it down. There wasn't a light price to pay. And this is just the recap, guys. But one of the things that I really came to a conclusion of, and one of the things that we kind of landed in at the end of last week, was that the entirety of David's tragic fall into sin doesn't have to play out in your life the same way. We looked at David's life, and yes, he messed up. He made a mistake, even looking at Bathsheba, sleeping with Bathsheba. Even once we find out that she's pregnant, David had opportunity to turn to the Lord. David had opportunity to repent, but he didn't. He continued to try to hide and make a better sense of his mess um, than what it currently was, right? We looked at the fact that he was trying to make his situation better and all he was doing was making it worse. Sin when, it's run, sin, when it runs its full course, ends in death, friends. And uh, we talked about the fact that at the slightest hint of conviction in our lives, it's not the natural reaction to run to the Lord, but it's the appropriate one. It's to run to the Lord and embrace his forgiveness. Embrace his correction. Because it's always the safest place to be. We ended and we, we talked about Mark 1.15, which is the very, it's a very short scripture. And it's so simple. It's the command of Jesus to repent and believe the gospel to repent and believe the good news. And friends, that's where we, that's where we landed last week. That's where we ended. But I want to ask the question this morning. And uh, I actually had a, I, I'm, I'm going to break this message up into two parts. So what does repentance actually look like, right? We got to this place where we, we understand David's need for repentance. And we actually don't get to David's repentance until halfway through chapter 12. But before we even jump into the prophet Nathan confronting David's sin, I believe that we need to establish a few things. You see, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry and I shouldn't have. In fact, there's a Greek word for repentance. You guys should know it by now if you've heard me preach. Like, I, I think I mention it every other sermon but it's this Greek word, metanoia. It's my favorite Greek word that there is. I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination. I, I, I can track with it a little bit, but there's this word where it's, undoubt, it's undoubtedly the same every time that it's mentioned throughout the New Testament. This word metanoia means repentance. Every time the word repentance is translated in the New Testament, it's this word metanoia. But it means more than just saying, I'm sorry. It means more than just saying, I shouldn't have done that, or I feel bad that I did that. It actually encompasses this mentality of changing the way you think. 
It refers to literally a change of mind. It's the renewing of the mind. It's to change the way that you think. It's the kind of repentance that isn't about regret or guilt or shame, but it implies making a decision to turn around and to face a new direction. You see, my son uh, will come up to you right now, <laughs> and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but he, his favorite thing is to like, come up to his mom or me and just like bite us or like kick us in the shin or like hit us in the face and he's completely just like innocent giggles the whole time and like he's he's the sweetest little boy in the world but every once in a while he'll just get this ornery streak and I think he gets it from his mom but we'll just come up and just like boom kick kick you in the shin or like bite you randomly and it's like what no that's not and immediately he'll say sorry mommy like, he knows that that's going to get him out of trouble because he, he just did something that he shouldn't have done. And what we're teaching him right now is sorry, saying sorry is not, uh, is not a satisfactory, uh, is not a sa- satisfactory answer for your bad behavior. And you need to know that as well in serving Jesus. Saying you're sorry is good. It's good to be sorry. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but it's not enough, unfortunately. We live in a culture, we live in a society where we think that that is enough because our intentions, our well-meaning, the, the heart behind an action is more important than the action itself. But can I tell you, that that's not true with the Lord. Saying sorry is not enough. He desires repentance. He desires a brokenness and a contriteness of heart that is associated with life change. Because he sees if you just say sorry and nothing changes, you're going to be saying sorry a lot. And God's intention is not for you to continue to live broken in a place where you have to say you're sorry again and again and again and again. His intention for sending his son and making a way is so that you can live victorious over the thing that you're continually apologizing for. And that's good news, friends. See, before we jump into chapter 12, we have to understand something that more than nine months has transpired between chapter 11 and chapter 12. And I was going to preach a message this morning on like the eight steps of actual repentance found in Psalm 51. And it was really good. I was really excited about it. It's one of those, like, as a preacher, sometimes you write messages and you know like this is going to be good. People are going to be crying at the end of this one. Like God, God has his hand on this and this is going to be, I want that to be every sermon I preach. Not that I want you to cry or I get validation from that or anything. That's weird. But there's just, there's sometimes there's those good messages. And I'm like, yes, Jesus, I can't wait to preach this. And then sometimes he gives me a word. It's like, God, I don't think I want to preach this. But uh, I'm excited to get to that. But I feel like he told me to hold off for it. And he actually began to speak to me about the space in between chapter 11 and chapter 12. Because there's a time frame there that exists that is startling to me. And it's dangerous, friends, because the prophet Nathan doesn't confront David until after David's 
child is born with Bathsheba. So there's a minimum of nine months. That's just how biology works. It could be longer than that. Most scholars speculate it's been at least a year, but that's speculation, so we don't know. Um, but it's, it's a considerable chunk of time for such great of a travesty of sin that David committed to when he's actually confronted. And I want to talk to you about the danger of delay. We hinted at it last week when we talked about the severity of his sin. And I, I, I urged you, <laughs> I urged you, if you saw yourself going down a particular road or a particular trap of the enemy, to stop in your tracks where you were and turn to the Lord in repentance and turn to the Lord in contrition because there was still hope that you didn't have to follow it full course the way that David did. You didn't have to see your whole life unravel and fall to pieces that the mercy and grace were extended to us. But David, he's like me, and he can be a little slow sometimes. He can be really slow, like in this occurrence. And what I've learned, especially about the space in between Chapter 11 and chapter 12, uh, spoiler alert, David does eventually repent. And it's, good it's a good model for repentance. The only fault, the only hiccup that I have with David's repentance is that it didn't happen sooner. And the warning that I want to give to you, friends, today, don't wait until it's rock bottom. Don't wait till there's nowhere else to go for you to embrace repentance. You can embrace it here and now and today. It's all the same words. Here, now, today, that means the same thing. Just do it. <laughs> don't buy into the lie that you can make things better than they are. It is only going to continue to get worse. You see, in the space between chapter 11 and 12, David models our natural response to sin as well. Especially for those of us that have walked in relationship with God. You see, he, David attempts to sweep everything under the rug. He attempts to cover it up. He attempts to make it better. And he attempts to just continue on with life like it's always been. And that year of David's life, or longer, <laughs> was probably the most miserable time of his life. Some of you in this room have experienced a time of walking away from the Lord. Some of you have maybe, maybe been close to the Lord, but you've lived with unrepentant sin, and you know what I'm talking about by what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. This is what David was doing during this prolonged period of unrepentant sin. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 38. This is going to be our text for the morning. I just want you to hear this. This was written later on in David's life, but it's reflecting back on a time where he was living in unrepentant sin. Almost, uh, almost every biblical scholar that I could find will attribute this to his time with David and Bathsheba, um, himself and Bathsheba. It says this, 
Oh Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Your arrows have struck deep and your blows are crushing me. Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. You know what I long for, Lord. You hear my every sigh. My heart beats wildly. My strength fails and I am going blind. My loved ones and friends stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. Meanwhile, my enemies lay traps to kill me. Those who wish me harm make plans to ruin me. All day long they plan their treachery. But I am deaf to all their threats. I am silent before them as one who cannot speak. I choose to hear nothing, for I make no reply. I am waiting for you, O Lord. You must answer for me, O Lord my God. I pray don't let my enemies gloat over me or rejoice at my downfall. I am on the verge of collapse, facing constant pain. But I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. I have many aggressive enemies. They hate me without reason. They repay me evil for good and oppose me for pursuing good. Do not, obey, do not abandon me, O Lord. Do not stand at a distance, my God. Come quickly to help me, O my Savior. We read here, about a man that is living in brokenness and misery. We see the hand of the Lord actually against him in this season of his life. That's why most scholars believe this was probably written from a time of reflection because if it was written at a time when David was actually experiencing these things, he might be quick to repent. But he's living in misery because he's known and tasted of the goodness of God. And he's living in separation from him because of his sin. And I felt, I felt a compulsion this morning to share a very simple word was that for if there is anyone here that has tasted of the goodness of relationship with Jesus and you've walked with him, and you've experienced that tangible goodness and the joy of salvation, of what it's like to walk with God, and you've let unrepentant sin, maybe it's a recurring thing, maybe it's something that came up and you've just tried to pretend like it's never happened. Maybe you've, maybe you've talked about it, maybe you even said sorry, but it's still it's still a persistent thing in your life. It's still something that has been not dealt with appropriately. Because <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, David during these, during this year, probably said, "God, I'm sorry." God, I'm sorry, but we don't see that brokenness. We don't see that contrition. We don't see him taking responsibility for it. And I can't wait till I get to preach Psalm 51 because it's good. <laughs> We see repentance transplaced. But something throughout the course of the year, I'm, I'm just using that as an estimated time frame, there wasn't 
I, I can't imagine going a year without my Jesus. <laughs> I can't imagine going a year without, with, with knowing I'm not in good terms with the Lord. But David did it. That's bad. Don't do that. I just want to warn you against David's delay this morning. Our natural reaction, our natural response to sin is to hide. We see and experience that back in the garden when Adam and Eve first fell. They take of the fruit, they realize they're naked, and the first thing they do is they try to hide from God. Friends, that's often what we do is that we make mistakes, we fall, we fail, and instead of coming to the one that can make us whole, we choose to hide because the enemy is a master of holding shame over our heads. And I want to be the first to tell you this morning that there is no shame that Jesus is intimidated by. There is nothing that you could possibly do that God is <laughs> that God is somehow caught off guard or surprised by that he doesn't want to fix. He doesn't want to make right. He doesn't want to forgive you for outside of blaspheming his holy spirit. I believe that there is there is grace. There is forgiveness at hand. And my my simple my simple compulsion this morning is to tell you don't stay away from the one that can make it better and don't don't pretend like everything's okay when it's not imagine this David had all the money right he had a palace he had whatever he wanted he had the best physicians in the land you see here his sin made him spiritually weak and spiritually sick, but it also affected his physical health. I'm not saying everybody that's sick is living with unrepentant sin. Don't hear me there, but I do believe that unrepentant sin can make you sick. There's a weightiness. There's, friends, I've been around, I've had close companions that walked with the Lord that made stupid decisions and refused to repent. And I've seen them carry this weightiness, carry this, this heaviness that Jesus never designed and intended for us to carry. I've seen it affect their physical health. I've seen it affect their emotional health. We're not designed to carry it. We're designed to bring it to Jesus. And I need you to know, whatever it is that you may be struggling with, whatever sin might easily entangle and try to keep you from coming to Jesus, (laughs) whatever weight there might be, he's not intimidated by it. He's not... He's not afraid of what you're carrying. He wants to help you with it. He wants you to bring it to him. We see it again 
when Peter's called as a disciple of Jesus, right? (laughs) Peter says to Jesus, I want to be your follower and to make me a disciple. (laughs) That's not what he says. He doesn't say, Peter doesn't say, Jesus, I want to be your follower and make me a disciple. (laughs) I can read my notes. Instead, Peter's response to the calling of Jesus is, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. That's what we read in Luke chapter 5. Friends, the sinner's first impulse is to run from God. So my question to you, what hope is there of reconciliation if our natural tendency is for us to hide, is for us to run? I would say that it's God's glorious intervention. His gracious mercy that intervenes. And we see it with the prophet Nathan in the life of David. We see God sending his word to confront (laughs) sin and iniquity in David. And when his word encounters the broken king, His response is, I have sinned against the Lord. We see that set the stage for genuine brokenness and repentance to encounter David and set him back on the right course. Spoiler alert, David blows it big time, right? (laughs) We've, We've all made some mistakes. I'm hoping that the majority of us, if you have, it's okay, God's bigger than it, but haven't been like uh, murdering people and like raping people and all those things. Like I'm, I'm hoping that that's not the case. I'm trusting that that, but even if it's not, <laughs> God's mercy and his grace is good. <laughs> and I'm thankful for his intervention in my life. I don't have time this morning to jump into the rest of Psalm 51. But there's one thing. I want to end with this this morning, just to be, just to be sensitive. Second Samuel chapter twelve, verse thirteen says this: that David says to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." He recognizes his sin. He's recognizing how grave it is, and he recognizes that he's actually sinned against God. He doesn't place the blame on anybody else. He doesn't go off any other tangent. It's very simple and straightforward. We read about his repentance in Psalm 51, and it's powerful. But the response of Nathan here to David is remarkable. (laughs) 
Nathan says to David, the Lord also put away your sin. You shall not die. Now David's response when, when Nathan comes to David <laughs> and say, he uses this, uses this story, uses this um, story of a, of a man that steals a lamb and, and uh, David's immediate response is one of fury and rage saying that that man must die. And then he's got to fulfill the Levitical law and pay him back, pay him back with four sheep. Right? Um, quick, quick to judgment. You see, David said that the man that did this should die. He pronounced his own judgment upon himself. Because Nathan responds and says, David, you are that man. David's sin deserved death. And he had taken life, so by the law and justice of God, he deserved it. So my question for you is, where did God put David's sin? Right? It says, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. I'm reminded of Isaiah 53. That he's laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And at this Christmas season, this time, we often think about Jesus coming as a baby in a manger and we neglect to reflect on him as the, as the God-man hanging on the cross for our sin. There is good news for us that repent and believe the gospel. There's good news for us that repent and believe in the good news, and that is that God became a man, that he lived a life, he died a real death and rose again, that our sin could be put away. It wasn't just wiped off somewhere and put off in a box and hidden away or thrown in a bag of garbage and taken to the dump. It was placed upon his son. He goes on to say that all of those who are heavy laden, all of those who are weary, that we could come to him and find our rest. I don't know if this is for anybody in this room this morning. I don't know if it was just for me or if it's for somebody later listening to a podcast, but my message this morning is don't delay when it comes to repentance, if God is working on your heart, if God is bringing conviction about any sin, if he's bringing uh, any kind of uneasiness about anything in your life that would hinder love and relationship with him, don't let it go on like David did. You don't need to suffer under the heaviness and the brokenness and the detriment of sin. He wants to make you whole. You're not going to make it better. You're not going to get your situation to turn around. It's not going to get better with time. The only thing, there are two things that can happen. <laughs> One thing is, is that the more time that you give it, the worse that it's going to get. 
or the more time you give it, the harder your heart's going to be to where you don't sense his presence anymore. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.